0: And welcome. Happy Friday. I hope everybody had a really great week. As I just mentioned, we are now into May. It is, um, it's going to be May. If anybody knows the Justin Timberlake joke, i <laughs> myself, but (laughs) Um, we are into our May um, coffee breaks. We will have a series every Friday um, in May. You can find that information on the Building Your Business um, Learning Hub in Commercial University. I know it's a bit of a change for us um, getting into Commercial University, and several of you have reached out to me. I hope, um, you know, once you get in there and you get the hang of things, um, we'll, we'll be able to do a lot more of these sessions on a more consistent basis um, and we'll even look to bring them out into June. So without further ado, I'll bring Dan Spiegel. He has a couple of important announcements about the previous month's coffee breaks. That's right. Um, and May and I know that um, him and Brandon, they have a really nice relationship and they've worked together in the past and I know um, Dan would like to introduce him.
1: Sure, so, all right. So the real important announcement is uh, at the end of the call, we're going to award a coffee prize to those people that have attended every call coffee break during uh, the month of, what month did we just end? April? Uh, so Josh, I know you're in the line. I don't know if Janet, Denise, or Anthony, or anyone from Columbus is on, but I'll hold it up here. So you get your own pound, or what the coffee shops don't even issue pounds anymore, so they're 12 ounces of beans. So whoever wins it at the end of the call when Matt Cornfine draws the name out of the hat, you can tell me the grind, the darkness you want, and I'll send you a pound of coffee. This is uh, Metropolis Coffee from Chicago. So, uh, Christina, we're out of the clouds. We had the rain for the last couple of days this week, um, but um, we're in the sunshine, so we're happy. Uh, in any case, so Brandon, welcome to the call. Um, I'm just going to give two, just a couple of quick words. I don't think Rick Lockheed's on here, but Rick introduced me to Brandon, and, I just, and I'll tell you how, and I just want to share the... The power of, I'll call it social marketing, is probably, is probably a better term. So Rick and I were talking, Rick's a new hire with uh, Cobble Banker Commercial Realty in Florida. Don't remember what we were talking about exactly, but he mentioned this great podcast that he listened to. And Brandon, I don't know the name of it, but it's hosted by the Real Estate CPA. So Brandon and his associates. Um, and I thought, oh, really, I love podcasts. I'll take a listen. So I listened to it. And I said, we need to have Brandon on a coffee break call. This is really, A, it was a great podcast. And B, um, B it's a great topic that we wanted to cover. So uh, anyway, I reached out to Brandon. We connected. Uh, super. So anyway, just that's a little plug for just the power of social marketing. If it wasn't for the podcast and and one of our professionals introducing me, I'd never know Brandon. And then, two, I think we're not going to cover it on this call, but Brandon introduced me when we were chatting that his firm, the uh, real estate CPA, which Brandon has nine, 10, 11, I can't remember how many partners you have. I
2: forgot. Uh, 15 employees. 15,
1: there you go. 15 employees uh, is a 100% virtual company. So, as much as we're all kind of getting used to the virtual world and we've lived in it partially, Brandon. Dove headfirst into the virtual world, never has had a company office space. And he's in, how many cities are you in? All of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's in a lot of cities. Anyway, he's in other words, the team's all around. So just super interesting. Uh, so unrelated to what we're going to talk about today, but I just wanted to throw that out. So uh, today's topic, and Brandon will just uh, take it from here, is, is really to talk about what. I think people haven't talked about as much in the CARES Act. We've talked about the PPP and the loans and blah, 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 and all that stuff. It's super important, but it's the tax changes that were implemented and fixes, I guess you want to call them too, um, that really have some implication to commercial real estate. So Brandon, I will turn it over to you and uh, that's it. And we'll talk about the winner of the coffee at the end of the call.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me here and, and thanks for everybody else to show up to a tax, tax coffee break. That's uh, it's always fun. I'll try to make it super interesting. But yeah, the podcast was the, um, the Real Estate CPA Podcast. We have about 30,000 listeners a month. And basically, we, just, we interview a bunch of real estate investors. And we ask them, what are they doing from a tax perspective? And try to dive deep, make it analytical. So um, do you mind if I share my screen? Is that okay? Cool. Oh, wait. Actually, let me get this. Bam. I need a request share. Yeah. Right now, Brandon. Thank you. There you go. All right. Cool. Okay. So the CARES Act has been pretty nuts. Um, You know, we, so we, our, our firm only works with people that are in real estate. So that's real estate investors, syndicates, fund owners, brokers, uh agents. If you're running a real estate business or if you're investing in real estate, we work with you. Um that's one commonality across all 580 of our clients. So we know real estate inside and out and the CARES Act threw a lot of curveballs at us that as Dan mentioned aren't really talked about but are really important especially in the commercial space. So, everybody here should, um, should pay attention, and you can potentially even go to your clients and potentially throw them a bone as well. But the first big thing in the CARES Act so, net operating losses. Net operating losses were actually, if I drag my screen right here, can you guys still see the PowerPoint?
1: Yeah, it'd be great if we could full screen it or something just to make it a little
2: okay, bigger. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good call. All right, so I've got a layer on top of the screen, but can you still see the PowerPoint? Yes, that's yes. perfect. All right, so net operating losses. <clears throat> With the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that was like the big uh, change that happened a couple of years ago. It like implemented that 20% pass through deduction. So that was the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Basically, what they did is they said you're not allowed to carry back net operating losses anymore. You can only carry them forward. And they're limited to 80% of your taxable income. So it was a big blow to uh, certain types of real estate investors, as well as a lot of like tech startups and things like that. So net operating loss is when you have so much loss on your tax returns that it it exceeds all of your other income on your tax returns. So my business loss is $300,000 and my business income plus my W-2 income is $200,000. I have a net operating loss of $100,000. Prior to the 2017 Tax and Jobs Act, I could carry that loss back for two years and then I could carry it forward 20. The 2017 Tax and Jobs Act said, not allowed to carry it back anymore. But what the CARES Act did is it said, any net operating loss generated in 2018, 2019 or 2020, you can carry back for five years. Uh, you can also carry it forward if you don't exhaust it by carrying it back. Now, you might ask, well, why would you want a net operating loss? Um you guys are brokers, right so you wouldn 't really want to have a net operating loss, but your clients want net operating losses, and a lot of your clients can achieve net operating losses if they structure their acquisitions correctly um, so the way that it works is if i if I buy a piece of commercial real estate and I triple net lease it let 's say it 's a five million dollar um, uh, strip mall or something i 'm going to run a cost segregation study on that, and a cost segregation study is the act of Taking components out of the 39 year depreciation bucket and allocating them to five, seven, and 15 year buckets. I'm basically trying to say, hey, when I buy this strip mall, all the components that are within this acquisition are not going to last 39 years, right? That some are going to last five, some are going to last seven, and some are going to last 15. The way that you identify those components is you run that cost segregation study. So I've got a $5 million acquisition. I'm going to run a cost seg study. I'm going to allocate Value to five, seven, and 15 year property. And as a result, I can use 100% bonus depreciation. So 100% bonus depreciation is used for any, or can be used for any component with a useful life of less than 20 years. So if I allocate value to five, seven, and 15 year property, that's all useful life of less than 20 years, all qualifies for 100% bonus depreciation. On a $5 million acquisition, strip mall, I can probably allocate about a million dollars to five, seven and 15 year property. Now, if I'm a, if I'm a big time real estate investor or even, even small time real estate investor, and I've got something like this going on, that million dollar deduction that I get to take in year one, thanks to bonus depreciation can very likely create a net operating loss. Uh, so I would be looking at the other income on my tax returns and trying to figure out what amount of net operating loss is created, if any. And if it does create a net operating loss, now I can carry that back five years. So what we're doing with our clients is we're asking, what did did your 2018 acquisitions look like? What did your 2019 acquisitions look like? Um, Do we need to amend a 2018 tax return if you did have a net operating loss that was suspended? Uh, So those are very easy things. But more specifically, the strategy kind of going forward here is look at your 2017 acquisitions, 2018 and 2019 acquisitions, and then plan for 2020. And if you didn't do a cost seg study in 2017, 18 or 19, then do it all in 2020. So buy more property in Q3, Q4. That's when we expect the, uh, a lot more opportunities to kind of come about. So you buy more property in Q3, Q4, 2020. You look at those acquisitions, the 2020 acquisitions, look at 2019, 2018, and 2017. And for any property that you did not run a cost study on, run a cost study on all the properties in 2020, and you're going to get this massive loss that, and I'll talk about real estate professional in a second, but you'll get this massive loss that if it's considered non-passive, it will create a potentially a net operating loss that you can then carry back five years. So that's the one major thing that isn't really being talked about a whole lot. Everybody's focused on the PPP, but this is one big planning piece that we've already started working on with a lot of our um, larger clients and uh, and, and it's going to be very beneficial for them but it's just all about how do, I, how do I create really large losses in one year so that I can create a net operating loss that can then be carried back. Part of this though, is real estate is by default considered a passive activity, right? So my, my income from real estate is passive income. My losses from real estate are passive losses. The, there's two exceptions. The first exception is if I make less than 150k, I can take up to a 25,000 dollar passive loss allowance against my other income. That gets phased out as my income exceeds 100k, and it's totally phased out once my income hits 150. So, um, so that's one exception. The second exception is to be considered a real estate professional for tax purposes. So, if you are a real estate professional for tax purposes, and if you materially participate in your rental activities or commercial activities, uh, then the losses generated from your real estate will be considered non-passive. And that's important because passive losses can only offset passive income. So in my $5 million acquisition example, if I buy this $5 million property and I bonus depreciate it and it's a million dollar loss, if that's a passive loss, I have to have a million dollars of passive income in in order to actually utilize that loss Otherwise, the loss will be suspended. It'll be a suspended passive loss. It will never have a chance to be a net operating loss. So in order to take that million-dollar loss, I have to convert the income stream to non-passive income or loss. And then the loss will be non-passive. And then I can take it against all of my other income, my W-2 income, my business income, my stock income, dividend income, any other type of income I can claim that loss against but the key piece is that i have to be considered a real estate professional and i have to materially participate to be a real estate professional you have to spend 750 hours and greater than half your time in a real property trader business so if you are a commercial broker and you do this full time or even part time you are very likely a real estate professional for tax purposes so you automatically hit it as long as you you don't have like as long as you're not moonlighting on the side and you have a full time w2 job right So, if you do this solely and you spend at least 750 hours in it, then you are probably by default considered a real estate professional. What trips brokers up all the time is that they think that if I just qualify as a real estate professional through my ordinary brokering activities, then I get to take all the losses from my rental real estate activities. And that is not true. So, you qualify as a real estate professional, but it actually means nothing unless you also materially participate in your rental activities. So if you have a, a real estate portfolio, say you've got like three or four rentals on the side, you're doing your brokering activities, you've got to leg up on all the other real estate professionals out there that are not brokers because you, you are by default qualifying as a real estate professional. But you're also going to have to show the IRS that you materially participated in your four rental activities in order to convert the losses to non-passive. Um, and once you can do that, once you can do that, you have a lot of power. You have a lot of power to eliminate your income. So you guys can qualify for this type of stuff, but your clients can too. Uh, and if you're, if you're helping clients through any sort of acquisition or anything, I would, uh, you know, you have to be careful, of course, giving tax advice. Uh, but I would definitely be suggesting, hey, you guys should be looking into this net operating loss stuff. Um, that's just something that you guys can bring to the table that there's probably not a whole lot of brokers out there that, that are even thinking of. Uh, but this is an extra boon for anybody that's picking up commercial real estate or any type of real estate really, but commercial definitely. And I'll talk about qualified improvement property, which is just the cherry on top. Um, But anybody buying commercial real estate needs to know about these rule changes and they need to be running cost segregation studies in the year that they acquire. Now, this is all expiring at the end of this year. So time is of the essence, right? Starting January, if if you make an acquisition January 1st, 2021, none of this is going to apply. So, needs to needs to happen by the end of this year. The qualified improvement property piece was big time for commercial real estate. So, when the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act came out again, that was a couple of years ago, they intended to make qualified improvement property 15-year property, but they accidentally left it as 39-year property. And if we go back to what I was just saying about bonus depreciation, You can only use bonus depreciation if the life of the property is less than 20 years. So that meant that all this qualified improvement property was no no longer allowable for bonus depreciation. But the CARES Act changed it and changed it retroactively to 2018 and basically said, if you have qualified improvement property retroactive to 2018, it should be treated as 15-year property and now it's eligible for 100% bonus depreciation. So what do you do? Well, if I were you, I would go to all of my clients that might have had qualified improvement property in 2018 and definitely in 2019. And I would say, did you know about this rule change? Has your CPA contacted you yet about this rule change? I, I, I remember that you told me about doing improvements to the interior of this property. And I just wanted to make sure that you understood that there was a change in the CARES Act. You should go talk to your CPA about how to capture this. It's huge. It's huge. Qualified improvement property is any interior improvement that is not structural. So if I buy Burger King and I rehab the kitchen, most of that kitchen is going to be qualified improvement property. And again, all we're doing is we're just we're identifying ways to add a ton of bonus depreciation. So I could I could spend five hundred thousand dollars on kitchen upgrades in a Burger King, and and in the past in twenty eighteen I couldn't take it. I have to depreciate it over 39 years, but now with the CARES Act change, I can retroactively write that off and I can claim a refund for it. It's huge, huge. So we've been doing that with our clients too. Basically it's, it's for, for us, we're scrubbing depreciation schedules. So, so people prepare their tax returns and on all the tax returns, they have a depreciation schedule on there and it'll list qualified improvement property for the year. And so that's what we are looking for. But for you guys, I'd be thinking, okay, which of my clients mentioned some, some major rehab and can I go to them and ask them how it went? Um, if it is considered qualified improvement property, maybe I can bring this up and I can add a lot more value than any other broker out there. I guarantee you no other brokers are doing this because we work with a lot of brokers <laughs> and they're not doing this. Um, so, So big, big change, big change. The last one that I wanted to touch base on is the excess business losses. So excess business losses, uh, how are we doing on time? Oh, nice, perfect. Excess business losses, they are temporarily suspended for 2020 and they're gonna be starting in 2021. Now, this is why I was saying all of this stuff has a time limit on it and it's ending 2020, primarily because of this rule. An excess business loss is any loss in excess sorry, a, it's, it's hard to explain. The business loss is any loss in excess of all of our business income, right? So if I get 300K in, in business losses or non-passive losses from doing a cost study, and then I have 100K of other income, I've got a $100,000 loss. Now that today, that's a net operating loss, but in the future, it might not be a net operating loss. Then what we do is we have to look to this excess business loss rule. And In 100K, that's fine. That's below the thresholds. There's two thresholds for the excess business loss. It's 250K if you're single, 500K if you're married filing joint. So after everything boils out, if I've got this loss, then I look, is is this a net operating loss or is this an excess business loss? If it's less than 250 or 500, then I'm good. If it's more than 250 or 500, that's when it's considered an excess business loss and it's not deductible. You carry it forward which is painful and it's even more painful because they said that W2 wages are no longer considered business income, uh, which could affect a lot of your clients. Um, A a lot of our clients that buy commercial property are typically like in Silicon Valley, they're in New York City, they're earning pretty solid wages um, or they are being paid primarily through like RSUs, uh, capital gains, stock dividends, whatever, right? equity. There's a lot of equity. Well, none of that is going to count as a as business income for this rule. So if I'm a real estate professional, I buy that $5 million building. I run a cost study. I get a million dollars bonus depreciation. Well, if, if, my, if my other compensation is like W-2, it's, it's uh, cashing out of my, my Uber stock, you know, whatever it is, if that's my other compensation, then these rules are going to kick in. I'm only going to be able to take, I'm married, so I'm only going to be able to take the first $500,000 of my $1 million loss if I don't have any other business income. So I could earn $2 million in Uber compensation. I could have a $1 million non-passive loss in my rental real estate, but I can only take $500K of that non-passive loss because I don't have any other business income. That starts in 2021. So that's just something to be aware of for anybody that, uh, for, for you guys. Now, you guys are all, you, you guys are all earning business income, right? You, you're all earning that business income. So again, like if I, if I earn uh, $200,000 of commissions and then I go and do that $5, that $5 million cost seg study, I get a million dollar loss. Well, I've got my 200K of commissions, my business income. So that gets factored in first. Then I stack the 500K on top of that. So now I've got a total of $700,000 of loss that I can take. Excess 300 is suspended per these new rules. Something to be aware of.
1: Brandon, can I ask you just one quick thing on that? Is an independent contractor broker. Do you have to be incorporated or an LLC to be able to do it or can it be as
2: an individual? Good question. It can just be as an individual. It's considered business income for, for these rules, regardless. Great question. Uh, and then real quick, do we have, do we have people here that own short term rentals or help broker short term rental deals? Do we know?
1: We probably do. I can't tell. We can't, we don't have written, because people raised their hands. We don't really know.
2: I know there's some people on here that own real estate for sure. So, I'll touch on that real quick. Uh, it'll take me two minutes. So, short term rentals, uh, a lot of CPAs get this wrong. And if you have short term rentals, or if you know people that have short term rentals and they've been treating it as a long term rental, then you should probably find a new CPA. So, the way that short term rentals work um, a short term rental, as long as it was rented less than seven days on average to all the tenants that it's rented to, it does not fall inside the scope of section 469. Section 469 is that whole thing I was just telling you about passive losses and income, real estate professional status. So short-term rentals fall outside of that completely different category. And what that means is you don't have to be a real estate professional in order to claim the losses from short-term rentals. You just have to materially participate that second step. All right. And who is this beneficial for? It's beneficial for all of your clients who have W2 jobs. Um, and could not qualify as a real estate professional just because they have that W-2 job. They're buying short-term rentals. A lot of their CPAs, I guarantee you, are, are, are uh, treating the short-term rental losses as passive, and that's probably incorrect. Uh, so what they all they have to do is just demonstrate that they materially participated in the short-term rental activity, and then they will uh, they'll have a non-passive loss. So you can run the cost seg studies have a non-passive loss and, and they can retroactively claim that loss. And this is beneficial because a lot of our short-term rental clients are getting absolutely crushed right now. And they're looking for anything that they can do to get some extra cash. And this is exactly what we're doing is we're going, well, what, what, before you became our client, how did your CPA treat it? Oh, look at this. They, they didn't treat it correct. So now we can go fix this for you. Five grand refund right there coming in six weeks. <clears throat> so that's a big one. Additionally, with short-term rentals, uh, if if the short-term rental if if more than fifty percent of the units in the short-term rental are considered dwelling units, or sorry, transient basis dwelling units, which means that on average they're rented for less than thirty days, which is most short-term rentals, then the short-term rental is considered non-residential property. Well. QIP, the Qualified Improvement Property Fix that I was just talking about applies to all non-residential property. So Even though you would probably consider a short-term rental residential, the IRS does not in most cases, which means any improvements that I make to my short-term rental that are on the interior and are not structural are considered Qualified Improvement Property. Which means that going back to 2018 and 2019, I can amend those tax returns and claim 100% bonus depreciation for any rehab amount to the interior uh, of, my, of my short-term rental. So it's just a, just a couple of things there. So, you know, the, 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 if, if I were you guys, the first thing that I would do is assess who's my client. Do I have, what are they buying? Are they buying large commercial properties, mid-sized commercial properties, short-term rentals, all of that's non-residential, Right. Then I would say, if it's non-residential, I'm going to go remind them about the qualified improvement property changes. Just send them a little note saying, hey, I I just got off this coffee chat and there was a CPA talking about qualified improvement property. Um, I remember that you told me about this rehab that you were doing or you're planning to do when we went through this acquisition. Just wanted to see how that went and if it was was booked as qualified improvement property because now the CARES Act says that you can 100% bonus depreciate that. Then I would be talking to all my clients going into 2020 here about, uh, as they are going through any sort of acquisition, I'd be asking them, do you plan to do a cost segregation study? And they might say, I don't know what that is. And say, well, I wouldn't necessarily try to explain it to them. You don't want to be caught giving tax advice, but you can ask questions and you can help guide them along the way. And I guarantee you that there are not a lot of brokers doing that. And that's it.
1: <laughs> cool. And just so uh, before we take questions, Christina, there, we are going to have a cost CostSeg uh, presentation uh, in a couple weeks, so we can get into that deeper dive. Um, but thanks, Brandon. It's uh, little would you know that CPA talk would be like good co- good conversation starter with your client. But uh, thanks for thanks for elucidating that. I was going to ask one question, then certainly we'll open it up uh, on the first point you made on the investing. You said you had to be a qualified. Uh, real estate professional, right? And you gave the criteria for that. But you said your clients could qualify for that. So how, if you have a client who's, let's say a dentist that owns, I don't know, 10 rental properties, how is it possible for that client to also be a qualified real estate
2: professional? Great question. So real estate professional is all about the hours that you spend in a real property trader business. So it's 750 hours and more than half your time in a real property trader business. If you work a full-time job, if you get paid a W-2 employee and you don't own more than 5% of the company, then we just throw it out. We just say, sorry, you're not going to qualify. We have, a, we have quite a few clients who say, oh, I work 2,000 hours a year at my W-2 job, but I also work 2,000 hours a year in my real estate. And we go, yeah, right. Um, the tax court's never going to believe you. There have been about a hundred people that have tried and the tax court has ruled against all 100 of them. <laughs> so if you work full-time outside of real estate, then I would say not a real estate professional, no way. But if this dentist's spouse is not working, then the spouse could qualify as a real estate professional. And then both the dentist and the spouse on their joint tax return can take the losses as non-passive. Or the dentist can work part-time and be able to meet the hour thresholds for real estate professional status and then qualify the losses as non-passive. So there are opportunities. It just depends on what are you doing? Um, Are are you already working in a real property trader business? Are you a property manager, right? You're going to qualify as as a real estate professional if you're a property manager. Are you a broker? Are you a real estate agent? Are you developing or flipping? All of those people are automatically going to qualify. Then the next piece is do you materially participate in your rental real estate portfolio? Cool. Thank you. No problem.
0: We have a question that came in. Um, you are based in North Carolina. If a New Jersey client choose to work with you, is that okay? Or are you required to work with their existing New Jersey-based CPA?
2: Great question. We work in every single state. We have a client in every single state. New Jersey is a is a wild state. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know it well. <laughs> Um, so to answer your question, we could, we could service the client. We would not have to work with, uh, we we could replace their New Jersey CPA. Um, and that goes for every single state.
0: And can we have would you mind if we hand out a copy of this summary sheet?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I showed you one slide on the, the presentation. I think there's about five of them that kind of go into detail on each topic. I also have a chart of the PPP versus EIDL, what we know today. Uh, that kind of summarizes all that too, and I've given that to Dan, so he's got my permission to send it out to you guys afterwards.
0: Great, that'll be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Any other questions or comments?
1: Hmm. Wow, it, you know, Quiet. maybe maybe CPA talk isn't uh, isn't a happy hour talk. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it's know. detailed well, stuff. Pretty, I, I some of this
2: stuff's pretty tough information, but um, yeah, just a lot. But I I, I tried to. Try to break it up in a way that uh, that would help make sense. And I think
1: for the brokers on the call, it's just introduce, you know, to your point is it's conversation starter, you know, you know enough to be dangerous enough to introduce the concept. And then they go, huh, this guy's introducing me to something I didn't think about. He's really valuable. He's on top of it. Right. And that leads to something else.
2: And feel free to use the presentation as a guide for those conversations. Um, I prefer maybe not distributing those presentations to your clients, but Feel free to use it as a guide to start the conversations. It's, it's got at least the conversation starters in there. And all, all you have to do is just ask questions and listen for keywords and you'll be able to guide. Um, and if you have any other questions at any time in the presentation is my contact information too. Feel free to reach out. You can email me directly. Great. Um, yeah, you, you can do that.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. If there's no other questions, um, we will let you loose to the world of accounting. Um, But thank you everyone for joining and always your participation. Um, Our next coffee break will be next Friday. You can find that information on the Building Your Business learning tab. Within Blueprint, I also made sure to create events on the Facebook page with the link to register for the session. Um, So we'll make sure that we keep putting that um, at the forefront and making sure that you know what topics are on what date, but we have a really great agenda for the rest of the month. We will be doing two um, conversations on a Monday, which is the 11th and the 18th, I believe, Um, so no one hour session this Monday, and then we will have our coffee break every Friday in the month of May. Um, so feel free to look through that all in the building your business learning tab within commercial university.
1: Cool.
0: Well, thank you so much, Brandon, for showing your insights. Um, I know that accounting may not always be, or CPA work may not always be the most exciting, but I think it's very relevant um, in how we need to think about our own business, but also how we need to change that conversation um, for our clients or potential clients. So thank you so much for sharing those insights. And as always, Dan, thank you for joining us and sharing your insights. And we'll make sure that we get that pound of coffee out to the right people.
1: Yeah, Matt's going to Is Matt on the phone still. Oh, that's yep. right.
0: We stuff to draw. all right yep, man you're right.
1: gonna draw do you want to draw the winner and see if they're here sure Brandon, you don't do. qualify you didn't show up for all four calls so <laughs> so we've got a list of five people uh, who have attended every meeting so far so i'm gonna put them into our little cbc hat here oh green screen not coming through uh for those of you that haven't seen it yet uh we do have these virtual backgrounds available for you guys to be able to download in blueprint so there's about four or five of them that are available right.
2: for you guys. And they can be yep.
0: used in Teams and Zoom.
1: Yep, yeah. with instructions on how to do that. So that was one that was a misspelling. The winner is Anthony the Who Columbus. I don't know if he Ant- will qualify anybody in his business there. I don't know yep. if Anthony's on today's call. But all right, I'll follow up with Anthony. Is he out there?
0: No, I don't, I don't see him.
1: join today. All right, I'll contact them. They've been on every call. Yeah. Um. So I'll contact them. Ruth and, is on. And make, oh, there you go, Ruth. You'll you can we'll work with you, and you can pick your uh, coffee, uh, darkness and uh, blend of mm-hmm. yours, and I'll send it out to you guys in Columbus. So cool.
2: Thank you guys all for having me. All right. It. Thank
1: you all. Take care. Have a good uh, Friday. Thanks,
0: everyone. Have a wonderful weekend.
1: Thanks, Christina. Bye.